My name is Michael Rodriguez. Most people call me Rod. I am the president and CEO of the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation. What inspired you to get to be a part of the foundation? Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not one of the founders. Um, the, the, they approached me in 2016. I was speaking at an event and they started to talk about the, this effort. Um, and, you know, it, it just didn't really, I hadn't really thought about it, you know, but really, what really inspired me was if anyone takes a second and pauses and thinks about this incredibly complex multi-generational war, um, you know, we, we definitely need a reminder, you know, the fact that it's such a small percent of the population is, has served uh, and is serving and, and will serve in this current conflict, you know, it's, it's, it's the responsibility for the rest of us is even greater. So it's, uh, I mean, I could probably fill up the whole, the whole talk here on, on reasons why this is important, not just to me, but really uh, to the nation as well. Can you tell me a little bit about your own military journey? Sure. So uh, I was blessed to serve this nation for 21 years. Uh, I was medically retired for um, multiple injuries. I received uh, some in combat, some in training. Um, and, uh, you know, served uh, my first appointment in a little longer in the tooth than, than a lot of people, uh, I think. Uh, so my first appointment was in 1993 to Somalia. And that was really kind of what solidified um, um, my desire to serve this nation in uniform as long as possible. And I, and I really uh, was introduced to the fact that the United States military doesn't just hunt down bad guys. I, mean, I think we're the best at it that's ever been. Um, however, uh, we... You know, we actually provide hope, safety, comfort, security to to those that need it across the world. You know, uh, so it, it really showed uh, showed me what what uh, the average everyday American like me from southern New Mexico uh, could be a part of. I talk to a lot of veterans and they always bring up the transition back to civilian life and the challenges they faced. What were some of the challenges you faced? Some of the challenges I faced was, you know, the, the common one you hear about is the, that loss of identity. You know, uh, it doesn't matter that many of us are, are fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends. Uh, you know, when you're not, we're in the military, you can, that's your master status, right? Uh, socially, we identify ourselves as like I was a special forces Green Beret and a, a sniper. And that, that was my job. Yeah, I was a father. I had three sons and. You know, I got three younger brothers and my parents are still with, with us, you know, uh, but that's, I wasn't any of that. That was, that was me. That was my entire identity. And uh, I think there's a good and bad that goes with that um, identity in, in the military that they give us because they ask us of a lot and we do really good at what we do. But when that's taken, right, taken from you, uh, you feel like you lose your identity. And I fell into the pit that most, most of us do is we feel like, well, then I don't have any worth. I don't have any value. If I can't provide this, what can I do? What can I provide? And again, that's we, we completely forget about everything we do every single day with, with our loved ones or our small social circles. Um, so that's, I, I went through that. And of course, you know, went uh, chemically depend, chemical dependency and, you know, I, I drank a lot. As a matter of fact, right behind me, the coin, that's my first 30 day chip coin that I keep on my coin rack. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know that was that was me. I felt like I lost my identity, and it took me a little while to to figure out that I was uh, was a lot more than you know an MOS in the United States Army. Yeah, how important is it to share your own story to everyone? You know, going through a difficult time. I think it's incredibly important. Um, first of all, no one should be ashamed of how they feel. Right. This is something I like to say quite a bit. You know. Um, 
for whatever reason, we, 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 uh, we don't like to share ourselves. You know, it requires a, a certain level of, of vulnerability and you, it takes, takes a lot of courage to do so, but you should, right? Because if you're not vulnerable, then you're not really connecting. You're not really sharing. You're not really communicating unless you're providing that, that, uh, you know, that, that situation where you, where you can be vulnerable. So sharing it and being open about it makes it okay. Sometimes humans have to be reminded that you're a human. Feeling is good. Feeling is, is, is part of who we are. And here's an analogy I like to use. I want to think just for a second. Has anybody ever apologized for being happy? Right? Or, no. Like, you don't ever go like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so happy. That doesn't happen. However, if I get emotional or someone gets emotional and they get to the position where this individual has placed himself in a vulnerable state to communicate with you and they start being emotional, what's the first thing they do? They apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, um, I don't know why we do that. So if you think about it, human emotions are who we are. Yeah. So I, I say all that because then the more we share, the more we talk about it, the more we realize that I'm not broken. I am. I still have value. I'm normal. This is absolutely normal for me to have experienced what I've experienced to feel this way. I'm not going to get into that negative feedback loop or feel, negative feedback loop of feeling bad for feeling bad to feeling bad. And then it gets worse and worse and worse and we spiral down. So sharing our stories, being vulnerable, being completely open, being honest with others allows us to be honest with ourselves. For you, what is it like, you know, just talking with fellow veterans who went through the same experiences? Um, it's, I love to do it first. I'm going to start, start, start by saying that I love to, I absolutely love to read, uh, you know, PMs I get in any of my social media or emails I get or calls I get. I, I love to, to hear from my familia, you know, and my family, uh, my greater family. Um, I, I really do. Um, but I'll say it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it, it is, uh, I'll say, what do I feel is I, I hurt because they, I have that connection with them and I know what they feel like. I may be further on in my, in my journey of life and healing, but it, it hurts. It hurts. But it also for me is, it's important to, to, to uh, recognize the work that is necessary. The work that I did to get to where I am reminds me, I need to continue that work so I can continue, uh, continue on. So, I mean, I, I, uh, it's challenging, but I mean, that's how you grow, right? Place yourself in uncomfortable situations and, and try. Um, and then that's how you'll grow and, and, and really just be a better human. Can you tell me a little bit about the foundation? Absolutely. So uh, the foundation came together in 2015. It was a group of veterans and family members. And they recognized that, hey, look, you know, we need to, we need to start this effort. Obviously, building a national war memorial is a very long complicated and arduous process. So they recognize that if they didn't start then, who, when, when is the right time to start? Like when, when should we start? Um, so they came together in 2015. Again, as I said earlier, I joined in 2016, I joined the board of directors and we were trying to, we, we were, the first obstacle we were faced with is we had to get authorization to build it. We introduced the bill in 2017 and we got authorization and then we started to build the team, um, that you see today, if anyone goes to our website. Um, and 
you know, our mission is to honor all those that have served. And we have four tenets that are, are pretty much keep us on azimuth. The first one is honor. Honor everyone that served. Everyone. A lot of people don't realize the very first uh, deployed Americans in the global war on terrorism was not the military. It was Operation Jawbreaker that was deployed today, on September 26th in 2001, just 15 days after the attacks of 9-11. Our nation responded in kind, right? So we, it was more than uniformed service members that served and placed themselves in harm way because additionally, um, the very first KIA was a gentleman by the name of Johnny Michael Spann, who also worked for the CIA Special Activities Division. You know, he was killed in November of that year. So honor everyone that served. But then we've expanded that even more because, you know, in this multi-generational conflict, um, I was introduced to what it's like to watch your child go to war, right? So uh, it was 2018 and, you know, I've I, you know, been blessed to, 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 to deploy 10 times for, for us, for this nation. Um, the most difficult deployment for me weren't the 10 that I did. It was watching my son deploy the Helmand province of Afghanistan with the 82nd Airborne Division to perform the quick reaction force mission for that area, which means he's going to fight, right? He was going to the Helmand province, a place I had been to twice. And guess what? His mother also served for 21 years and deployed five times. She had been there twice. So her and I are standing there watching our son go to the same areas to fight some of the same people that we had fought. And so we're recognizing the family service. You know, but this is very, very unique situation because I can't imagine what it would have been like for my father who watched me graduate airborne school and go fight the Viet Cong any more than anyone can imagine what it would have been like for like my grandfather to watch my father graduate his training and then go, you know, fight the Nazis and serve in the Pacific. And when you say it like that, it sounds completely foreign and people are like, oh my gosh, that would be crazy. That's, that's what has occurred in this, in this multi-generational conflict. So when we say multi-generational, that's what we mean. Never have we, have we existed as a nation where our sons and daughters watch their mothers and fathers go off to fight in war, only to grow up in a time of war, to serve in that same very war. It's never occurred, but that's what happened. So honor, honoring those that have served, uniform, non-uniform, and those that supported them, the families. I could not have done what I did on my multiple deployments had my family not taken care of things back home for me. Um, and I said that was the most difficult deployment for me. So honor, heal, our second tenant is provide this nation to come uh, an opportunity to heal those that have served and those have been directly touched by the service in this nation's longest war. What does healing mean? Healing means emotional wounds. Healing means relationship wounds. Healing means healing as a nation that I, I think, you know, might, might probably be necessary as well. Um, healing is, is it provide that, that focal point for all those involved to heal, honor, heal. Third tenant, empower. Provide those that have served an opportunity to tell their stories on our nation's front lawn. These are the everyday Americans that were asked to go forward on behalf of the entire nation. We need to give them that respect. I, feel, I truly feel it is our nation's sacred duty to honor every brave man and woman that steps forward to serve and place themselves in the harm's way for our very way of life. So empower them. Give them that opportunity. And here's... so. There's uh, um, during the, the uh, leaving of Afghanistan, we'll call it that, um, two years ago, there was those that the event that occurred at Abbey Gate where we lost 13 Americans on that single day. You know, shortly thereafter, 
uh, you know, the nation was all watching and the nation uh, for the first time in a very long time saw that we were still at war. They were reminded we were still at war. So in our nation's capital, of those 13, 11 of them were Marines. One was uh, served in the Army uh, Special Operations. And actually, that that young man actually deployed with my son. So when I watched my son go off to, to fight, that, that, that Special Operations soldier that was killed on that day was with my son. And that was one of his friends. So... 11 Marines, one army, and they had the Navy corpsman. A very large ceremony was held out of uh, uh, a memorial. And where was it held? At the Iwo Jima Memorial. Now, I think that's amazing. You know, the Marines always rally to that. It's an incredibly, um, I love the Iwo Jima Memorial in our nation's capital. But you have to ask yourself, is that the right place for us to rally for the current conflict? Is that right? We didn't have anywhere to go. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, as a nation, we, didn't, we don't have anywhere to go. So empower those, empower everyone that, to, to have that opportunity to engage everyone in our nation's capital, on our front lines, where all the decisions that are made to send our men and women into harm's way. Have something there. Because if not, we're forgotten. I think it's, you know, people will look at the percent of individuals that serve in the military, and right now, I think it's less than 1% of our nation is wearing the uniform right now. Um, people will look at that and they'll be like, oh, my gosh, is it like a patriotism? Is it like, I, I don't even, this is what I look at when I see that number. I, as a now retired Army guy, um, I look at the number and I'm incredibly proud that it only takes 1% to defend that 99%. I mean, that should be the goal, right? Why do we need a large military if a smaller one can do that? That speaks to the strength, resilience. Uh, selfless service that exists of all those men and women that have served. So, you know, it, but it's such a small percent. We need to, we need to recognize that and honor them and, and give them that opportunity. Honor, heal, empower, fourth tenet, unite. Unite us all. Remind everyone that this nation, yes, we're the most diverse, inclusive, multilingual nation in existence who have ever existed. And I, I believe that's where we draw our strength is from that diversity of of of, uh, of our citizenry. But on 9-11, who were we? We were the American people. It didn't matter your socioeconomic or background or your demographic. It was completely irrelevant. For anybody that has traveled outside of the continental United States and interacted with uh, foreign nations, you 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 stand out. I don't care what color of your skin is. I don't care what you what languages you speak. You stand out because the only people that think like Americans are Americans, and that's what makes this this country the greatest the greatest I think to have ever existed. So unite to unite us to remind everyone like those brave men and women that have served, those families that supported them. Um, they're the mirror image of of those that did not have the opportunity to serve or, or chose not to. You know, so honor, heal, empower. Unite. Those are the four tenets that, that guide uh, our foundation on, on this sacred mission uh, to fulfill a duty we all share. And almost every day I see your logo because uh, it's <laughs> on the Mission Barbecue Cups. Uh, how does it feel to have, you know, larger companies like Mission Barbecue to help your mission? Out? Um, it's, you know, when... You know, as one of my jobs, right, is to spread the mission and, and, and talk about what it is that we do. And when we are given that opportunity to just share our mission, to just talk about what we're doing, the approach that we've taken, excuse me, and, 
and why it's important, people are like, oh my gosh, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. How can I help? What can I do? So Mission Barbecue approached the foundation a few years ago and, and uh, it was, uh, um, you know, it was, uh, Andrew, uh, Andrew Newton and uh, um, Bill Krauss, the, the co-founders, and, and they were like, hey, Rod, we want to help. You know, this is what we do. Um, this is what we want to, we want to help. We believe in the cause, uh, sat down with them. And so they, it's, they, they've been our, our largest supporter thus far. We would not be where we are today if it was not for Mission Barbecue. And they, they stepped in at a point where no one knew that who the heck we were, didn't really have any money. Uh, it was just me trying to figure, figure everything out. And, and they came in and they're like, right, Hey, this is what we want to do. We want to help. How can we, what else can we do? Um, so it's, you know, I, I use them as, as the gold standard as far as uh, corporate sponsorship. And I hate to call them that corporate sponsorship because it seems somewhat amorphous or like they're an entity, but that entire organization is, is behind it and they support it because it's just everyday Americans. And if we're given the opportunity to engage, then people are like, yes, absolutely. You know, because there are there, many, many Americans know someone um, who has, you know, or they can relate to it. And when you really tell these stories and it doesn't matter what it is we did in the military. If I talk with some people, um, I'm, I'm hoping that somebody who's watching this will look at me and be like, wow, I didn't serve, but you know, I'm just like this guy. Right. You know? Uh, so I, you just trying to remind everyone that those that served were, were you. We're just, we're just trying to honor the best of this nation. Those that have stepped forward to serve us all. So it's, 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 uh, it's inspiring when people like mission barbecue uh, step forward. I, I like to, to say all the time, like, as we move forward, I'm gonna remind everyone, Hey, this is the memorial that barbecue built. <laughs> so uh currently you have a campaign going on uh called help design history can you tell me a little bit about that incredibly excited to finally be able to share this plan i've been working on for about four and a half almost five years so help design history today we are allowing everybody to visit our website people will be able to go on and fill out an online survey that adds to the existing data that i started collecting in 2018 um, quantifiable uh, data that we can use to present to the designers for input into the National War Memorial, into this NASA's memorial. I mean, that this this is the most broad, diverse, and inclusive approach that has ever been taken in designing a memorial. Most of the time when memorials are, are designated, a board of directors or a governing body will select the design. We did not do that. We were looking for designers, world-class designers willing to step into this space that will work with a foundation and be humble enough as an artist to listen to us, to listen and, and then go forward and design. As an artist myself, I know that an inspired artist will design brilliance. They will create um, excellence. So that is what we did, and that, that hasn't been done. So we found a, you know, a phenomenal designer, uh, Martin Blackwell. And Martin and the other designers, as we continue to build the team, will look at this data that we're collecting for the next 22 days. It starts today, 26. It'll go for 22 days, one day for each year of the war. And we're going to add, add that data that the American public will be able to provide to the, to the data that we already exist to present to the designers. So everyone that participates, and I hope everyone does participate, can say, I helped, I contributed they listened to me. My voice was important. I had value. And there's a reason, you know, we kind of started the, the talk a little bit earlier about like how people feel. I think those that step forward and serve, we need to remind them of their value. We need to remind everyone of their value. So this provides that opportunity. 
Um, so that that's what's launching today, uh, our Help Design History campaign. Where do you want to see your mission, say, in the next five years? Well, <laughs> we will hopefully break ground. Um, so this is our current timeline. Let me, let me get this one out real quick. These are our 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 a uh, current timeline. Obviously, there's a lot of this is a 24 step process. We're in steps 13 through 19, which is uh, the design phase of the memorials and museums master's plan design. Anyway, I'll, I'll talk about the bureaucracy stuff later on if someone wants to. But um, we hope to um, break ground by 2025 and dedicate by 2027. So that's right around the corner, right? That's just. Uh, that's just four short years. So we're, we really hope that we'll be, we'll have had the groundbreaking ceremony in five years and have already initiated the programming. Like, what is this going to be? What are we going to do? It, because we're in a very unique situation with regard to war memorials. I mean, it's real, it's relevant, it's right now. This is a memorial to the future. And I'll use this. So the authorization and use of military force, which is signed, you know, in shortly after the attacks of 9-11 is what, every administration has used to send our military to fight terrorism globally. Still there. Whether anyone wants to acknowledge it or not, it's a very smaller group, but men and women are still deployed in harm's way, defending us all from terrorism. So this is a memorial to the future. There's not really a bookend uh, to this. Um, and, and that's not for me to discuss. It's just to define like what it is that, that we are doing. So I foresee us having some programming of engagement so we can continue to share this, uh, share this incredible mission, to share um, the this uh, the memorial with not just those that serve in, uh, in within our borders, but really with the world. And with the organization, you do a lot to help others, help get the message out. But what do you do for your own mental health? Me? Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So, well, this, believe it or not, this is this is some of my best medicine. You know, talking with you, Michael, like I, I like I told you earlier before we started recording, I, I was really excited to talk to you because I, I love to talk about, you know, I'm an open book. Um, so just working on this provides me an opportunity to continue to serve my nation. You know, when I joined the Army in seven, at, when I was 17 years old, you know, my, the, the majority of my adult life, that's what I did. And this provides me an opportunity. But in addition to that, you know, I still go see, you know, I, I, I still go to my meetings. Um, I, you know, I've been sober for over nine years now. Um, I still go to take care of my mental health. Um, I, I'm older now, so I, I have to take care of, of this old rust bucket of a body that I got now. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I do a lot more care for myself than I think I ever have because, um, you know, I have three sons. Uh, one of them is currently serving, uh, still serving. Uh, my youngest son plans to serve when he graduates here pretty soon. Um, you know, I have a grandson now, so I need to take care of this old chassis so I can uh, continue to to be around for those those little hombres. <laughs> 